Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college basketball, the NBA, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 212. I don't remember the last time that we've talked about hockey on this podcast. I'm sure it's been a, it's been it was, a while. It was, it was like two or three weeks ago. Really? What were we talking about? We did a hockey mic stupid rules like, okay. yeah, not, not that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but we're going to talk about just a little bit of hockey in the intro then. 14 times in NHL history, a goalie has been credited with a goal. And the most recent of which happened last week to the Boston Bruins' Linus Olmark, who was able to light the lamp with 48 seconds to go in the third period to put the Bruins up two and finish the game 3-1 to one against the Vancouver Canucks. Suck it, Canada. Olmark now joins uh, a small group of 13 goalies to have been credited with a goal in the NHL. Fun fact, the first time this ever happened was back in 1979 for Billy Smith of the New York Islanders when a member of the opposing team actually scored an own goal. And it turns out the last Islanders player to actually touch the puck was Billy Smith, the goalie. So he was credited with the goal. Uh, if you'll notice, I say this has happened 14 times and uh, Olmark is now the 13th to do it. That's because Martin Broder, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, sure. Um, has done it twice. So Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much has to either be an own goal or an empty net situation. Oh, yep. a really, really bad opponent, opposing goalie. That would be so bad. I, I would be embarrassed for that goalie if they got scored on from the other goalie. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very rare that the goalie will leave, will get close enough that it could be anything but a shot from all the way around, the, all the way down the ice. So, because you can always just trade him out for another skater. So, yeah, there's no reason for him to be in the offensive end. So this one was not an own goal though. It was just a uh, you just just sent it straight just, down the ice at the, the puck net. and yeah, mm-hmm. chip shot right into the net. Mhm. Yeah, good for him. The, and the Bruins are ama- they're amazing this year. One of the best they are the best team in the NHL, I believe. Um and they're one of the better teams in NHL history at this point. Uh, they currently have 95 points. That's a full nine points clear of the next best team in the NHL. Um, head over heels better than anybody else. They've only lost eight games in regulation all year. So they're they're quite good. Very, very good hockey team there in Boston. What has not been impressive is this week of Cyclone Basketball. Um, in my opinion, this is the worst week of Cyclone Basketball that we've had um, this season, uh, I I was looking through the game results. I don't think there's another one that could. Maybe when we lost to West Virginia and Oklahoma State in back-to-back games, but at least we didn't look terrible in either of the, or well, at least in one of those two games. But the Cyclones just looked absolutely terrible in both of their games this week. They got blown out by Texas, um, didn't have Caleb Grill for that game, got blown out by Texas 74, uh, sorry, 72 to 54 was the final. Um, and then they just looked lifeless in, well, the second half especially, but most of the game um, against Oklahoma, they got beat 61 to 50. 
I, I said at the beginning of the year, if you hold your opponent under 60, if you're the Cyclones and you hold your opponent under 65 at home, you're going to win pretty much every game. And well, you, you still got to score more than 40 if you're going to win that game. We got killed on the boards. I mean, we, don't, we get killed on the boards, but we only turned the ball over five times. The issue was we just couldn't shoot. We couldn't make any shots. The offense was just lifeless. 31% from the field, 26% from three, 58% from the free throw line. Th- that's not going to beat anybody, no, no matter how good you play. And the defense played really well. You held them to 61 points. That's great. You can't ask for much more out of the defense, right? And and they still just it was un, they were uncompetitive in the second half. They were up five. They were up uh, up five at the half, and then just got they got blitzed at the start of the second half. After scoring first in the second half, they scored two points in the next uh, six minutes, and were just. Then then Oklahoma just kept us at arm's reach from there. It was it was not good. This offense is just broken right now. I I have I looked at this after the game, but so if you go back the last six games, so that's going back to the West Virginia loss, I believe, right? That's the last six games. Yeah, to the West Virginia loss. The Cyclones are one and five in this stretch, um, with the only win being at TCU. In that stretch. Jalen Holmes is 22 for 75 from the field. And Gabe Kalsher is 17 of 64. The two players who are our leading scorers for most of the year and our best players have gone a combined 39 and 139. They're shooting 28% over the last six games. Do you want to know why we're losing games? That's it right there. It's as simple as that. Our two leading scorers are both broken. And we need to fix it, or we're going nowhere come March. And in the last five games, Iowa State has scored 60 points one time. And that was 70 to 59 when we won against TCU. Uh, other than that, we have not broken 56 points in the last five games. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what else you can really say about it other than you don't win a lot of games scoring 55 points, no matter how good your defense is. There was only one game, one conference game this year they would have won scoring that few points. And that was when they absolutely killed Texas Tech at home. That was the only game they would have won scoring 56 points this entire year. Yeah, the lowest amount of points we've scored in a win was 63 this year. So you got to hit 60. Like, you just got to score 60 points or it's not happening. And, I mean, to me, that's what it comes down to. The defense is fine. Even mm-hmm. after this bad week, um, According to Ken Palm, right, the Cyclones team is still, where are we? We're still eighth in the nation in adjusted defense. This defense is fine. But at one point, the Cyclones team was a respectable 60th in adjusted offense. We're now down to 107. And especially uh, up until this point, the losses hadn't hurt us in the metrics that much. We were still hanging around right where we were in the in the mid-teens, you know, the 17, 15, 16, 17 range. But we took a tumble um, after that Oklahoma loss. We fell down from 17 to 22 in the net. We're down to 24 in the Ken Palm, uh, 22 
two in the Bartovic, like we we took a tumble with that Oklahoma loss. It was it might not have been the worst game we played. We probably played worse at Texas, but it was by far the most damaging loss we had this entire year. I'm not sure how to fix it other than make your shots. Yep. Right? I don't know what else to say. Make shots. We're not getting terrible looks. We we missed at least ten fairly easy layups against OU. Right? I'm not talking about the contested ones. Like there were in the first half, we just missed at least three or four bunnies just in the first half. We very easily could have been up twelve at halftime instead of five. And then it would have been a very different ball game. That also happened in the West Virginia road game where uh, Jaron Holmes missed a bunch of uh, layups in close. Um, they could have, you know, prob- possibly changed the tide of that game. The one thing that is still frustrating and what I had talked about uh, in the K-State loss is still the fact that there there seems to be times when this team gets disheveled on offense and they resort to just chucking up a bad three um, or settling for a bad three. Now, there are times where they are able to get really good looks, but there's some. There, then there's the other possessions in which the offense goes stagnant. Maybe you don't have the most offensive lineup on the court at, at any given time. Like, Jazz Koontz is your best offensive weapon. Um, um, and, and then they just jack up a, a three, that potentially leads to a long rebound and a run out. And it's hard for them to get back on defense and um, stop that from happening. Uh, The defense hasn't been horrible. I mean, you held OU under their... You're holding, not just OU, you're holding most teams, if I'm not mistaken, under their season average. Like, when they come in and play Iowa State, it is going to be a low-scoring game no matter what. But the offense just has to score some points. Yeah, I I messaged I messaged you, Mike. I was like, the first team to hit sixty wins this game, and you were like, well, the first team who hits who hits fifty will win this game, and we're struggling to even make it to fifty. Yeah, like we won the turnover battle in this game, eighteen to five. We only turned the ball over five times, and you still only scored fifty points. I I don't get it, and I I don't know what else to say at this point. Make shots. I, I don't have anything else to say at this point. It that's the frustrating part. It's not like we can analyze and oh, if you do this differently, it's just, it's just make the shot. And when we all knew this team wasn't offensively talented, and we never claimed that they were, but this is just brutal. Just brutal. And I mean, the other thing that doesn't help is there are only, I I looked through it, there are only four games this year um, where this team has been fully healthy. Only four. The home game against KU the game at West Virginia, the home game against Oklahoma State, and the home game against TCU. That's it. Those are the only games all year this full team has played. Because Trey King missed the first half of the year, um, having to sit out. And then Oshun missed a little bit of time. And then Kuntz broke his hand. And then Grill has been out. And then in his last game, Oshun got hurt again. Um, I haven't heard his status to see if he'll play against West Virginia. We really need him to or we're in big trouble. Um, but only four games has everybody played. Have we been able to play with the normal rotation all game? Just four. That's not great either. That doesn't help. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have 
you know, overlooked the, the, that stat of Iowa state's health throughout the season. I know for me, it was a little bit, you know, I've, I've known that it's been an issue throughout the season, but I haven't really put it into perspective or focus too much. And I don't think many other people have either. Like this team hasn't played a full, complete, healthy team. Now there has been a lot of other teams in the big 12 that have been, you know, banged up or hurt throughout the season. Obviously when TCU lost Mike miles, they were clearly a different basketball team um, than when he's on the court being that, you know, had he played the whole season, he could have potentially been first team all Big 12. Um, I don't know. Was he the preseason Big 12 player of the year pick? Or was that was probably James Wilson? Let me look. Ian, do you know off the top of your head? I do not know. I don't remember. I, was thinking, I think what, it was Mike it? Miles. I mean, you can't go wrong with a pick between him or probably Jalen Wilson Ooh. for the year. It was Mike Miles, yeah. That's so thought, yeah, yeah, obviously, it, obviously, when you lose that caliber of a player, your your team's going to be different. So I, I'm not saying that Iowa State lost the same amount of talent that uh, TCU has had to kind of stem the tide and what they've lost throughout the season, but it does play a key factor. And there are, like we said, when the Iowa State women's team lost Stephanie Soares for the season. They're like, you got to find a way to win uh, without her now. Um, and it took them a while to do that. And now they're, they're, you know, getting back on track a little bit. But this team really hasn't been able to find a group because once one person comes back, it's like there's another person down. So um, it's not like you've lost one person for the entirety of the season and you're kind of going on with it. And then don't forget Jeremiah Williams, who tore his ACL in the offseason. He was supposed to be an integral part to this team this year as well. So this team hasn't really had their their full, you know, the, the full team all year long. All of the resources available for TJ to use, and he's kind of just had to go with what he's had. So, But this offense really needs to figure it out, especially, you know, getting into crunch time end of regular season getting into the big 12 tournament um if there is one silver lining though uh chris williams did tweet this after the game iowa state entered uh saturday in the same seed line as miami who just lost to a terrible florida state team blew a 25 point lead in that game with that was ranked 224 in the net so just for comparison iowa state did lose at home but OU was 76th in the net. So that is a, well, yeah, the loss sucks. It's not a terrible loss, similar to what Florida State's. And Oklahoma climbed to 65 in the net with that win. So Yeah, yep. Oklahoma is ranked higher in the net than some of the bubble teams, like Wisconsin, for example, um, and Utah, some other teams that are on the bubble. So... Again, this, this is not over. This is not, this is not the obituary of this basketball team. It was just a frustrating week, and they got to figure it out. And I think the one advantage this team has is the style of play that they have will, just like last year, I think it will transfer well into the NCAA tournament, right? If you play some of those schools from the ACC, the SEC, that aren't used to this physical style of play and this defense, you could surprise some people like you did with uh, LSU and Wisconsin last year. Um, now am I predicting another sweet 16 run? No, I haven't. I, I mean, if the offense is on, sure, we could definitely do it, 
But this isn't this isn't over for this team. This team is still going to make the tournament and be a single digit seed. So don't let's not write this team off. But it was quite the frustrating week. Anybody have any other thoughts on this week before we go on to next week? Nope. Get back on track and and get a little bit of momentum heading into Kansas City. That's really exactly. all it is. Exactly. And there are only two games left before Kansas City. Um, the first one will be a Monday, 8 p.m. tip-off at home against West Virginia. This is a really big game to right the ship, um, considering what comes after it, which I'll get to in a second. It'd be really nice to get one win, snap the losing streak before um, you get to Kansas City. And it could also be big for seedings um, when you get to Kansas City. I would much prefer to be the five versus the six seed um, when it comes to um, to Kansas City, right? Like if you're the if you're the five seed, you get the four. Which I mean, the top four teams in the Big Twelve are all really really good. So actually, it probably doesn't matter for that much for seeding, does it? Like if you're the six seed, you're gonna get probably the K State or you're gonna get K State or Baylor either way. It's looking like so. Good luck. Right, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a tough game, and we're going to see. Um, but a, a, a very winnable game, and a game will be favored in Monday um, against West Virginia, 8 p.m. ESPN two. In fact, the line might already be out for that game. We are four point favorites in that game. So I think we were seven and a half point favorites versus uh, Oklahoma. So yeah, so I'm not saying we will win it. Yeah, but just throwing it out there. Terrible. And then the second game this week and the regular season finale will be a 11 a.m. tip-off just announced um, at Baylor on Saturday. TV is still TBD on that game. At least it's not listed since I assume it's still TBD. Not that it's not going to be televised. That would be weird. Um, So those are the last two. And then the Big 12 tournament um, will start. I mean, it's still possible that this could start on Wednesday but light for the Cyclones, but likely it will start on Thursday. I, I didn't mention it, but there's still a chance this team could fall to the seven seed, in which case they'd have to play in the play-in game, um, likely against Oklahoma if they wanted to, if they want to advance. So really they need to stay out of that play-in game. That should be the goal, right? Win a game to stay out of the play-in game. Anybody else have thoughts on this upcoming week? Or should I move on to the women? Much more pleasant to talk about the women. Yeah, let's move into some pleasantries. Yeah. So, so it was not a perfect week um, for the women. They did end up losing a very close game um, to Oklahoma State um, on the road. They ended up losing that 68-73. Um, they played pretty well, and Oklahoma State just made – a couple more shots when it counted, um, including going eight for 12 from three in that game. Um, so yeah, Oklahoma state just played a little bit better and they're a good team. There's no shame in losing that game. He would have liked to win it, but there's certainly no shame in losing that one. And then they did what they had to do in the second game, absolutely demolishing a really, really poor TCU team, 84 to 56. It was not even close in that one. It was midway through the second quarter, the game was decided. We actually held a TCU scoreless um, for a good eight and a half minute stretch of that game. Um, So uh, between the second quarter and the start of the third quarter. 
So very just a dominating performance like you like to see in those situations. So just two games left as well for the women's team before they travel to Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. First game is at Kansas, 7 p.m. Wednesday on ESPN+. And then Saturday, um, 3 p.m., home game, senior night um, for Ashley Jones and others against Texas Tech, 3 p.m. Saturday, ESPN+. That's what we have to look forward to wrapping up the regular season. Um, our next week episode will go through everything um, that has to do with conference tournaments and get you prepped for Selection Sunday because next week will be our first episode before Selection Sunday. Ariane, there was a little bit of uh, contract shuffling and whatnot in the NBA this week. Can you fill us in? Yeah, we just had a little bit of stuff. Uh, We talked about all the trade deadline fun last time. Um, We did have some buyout stuff that happened. So teams that traded for people that weren't going to let them be on the team long-term. The biggest one is Russell Westbrook, who was traded from the Lakers to the Jazz, uh, was bought out, and then the LA Clippers signed him. So lucky for him, doesn't even have to get a U-Haul. Patrick Beverly was traded from the Lakers to the Magic, bought out and signed with the Bulls. Kevin Love was bought out by the Cavaliers after they decided he was not part of their, you know, vision for this season. Ends up signing with the Heat. Can give him a little bit of size and shooting, which should be beneficial for their playoff push. Reggie Jackson was traded to the Hornets from the Clippers, and they bought him out, and he has now signed with the Nuggets, which should be a big help to them since they traded away their backup point guard, Bones Highland. So we'll see how that ends up for them. Dwayne Dedman was bought out by the Spurs and signed with the 76ers, giving them a serviceable backup behind Joel Embiid. At center, Terrence Ross was bought out from the Magic after a million years, it feels like, in Orlando. Uh, He has now signed with the Suns, giving them a little bit more depth on the wing after they traded away pretty much every forward on their team to get Kevin Durant. And then Danny Green was bought out from the Grizzlies after playing like literally three games, I think, because he was injured most of the season. And he has now signed with the Cavaliers. Didn't care about them because they were little people that don't play that much. Um, Some other news. Uh, the or, Hawks have. With, with it, with it, with, are they little in stature or? Uh, no, just little in PT. Like, nobody really cares where RJ Hampton is. Nobody knows where know RJ Hampton was before. RJ is. Exactly. That's why I didn't bring him up. <laughs> uh, the Hawks uh, fired Nate McMillan since we last recorded. And in that time, they have just, like, 30 minutes ago, come to terms with former jazz coach Quinn Snyder. A very good coach, coach of the year, uh, but two years ago, I think. And uh, it seems like they're coming to terms for a five-year agreement, so it'll be interesting to see if Quinn Snyder can fix some seeming locker room problems and Trey Young having a little bit of a diva attitude. Uh, but that is all I have for the NBA. How many, ga- how many games are left for most teams? How many games have been played? About 20-ish, I think, a little over 20. Okay, so about the same place the the NHL is at. What about yeah, 20, the NHL and about the NBA games per year. are very similar in season uh, time. They're about seventy five percent through the schedule right now. Yeah, that's about where we're at in the NHL too. Okay, good to know. So that Western Conference playoff picture is it ever going to come to any semblance of balance, or is it just going to be a big muddled mess until literally the end of the season? That would be my that would be my bet. That yeah. it will just be a jumble. Yeah. 
Denver's the best, and then after that, just nobody knows. Yeah, you got Denver, and probably the Grizzlies are looking like they'll keep their lead a little bit, and then after that, it's really going to be a mess. It'll be interesting to see what the Suns look like once Kevin Durant comes back and starts playing with Booker and CP3, but yeah, it's anybody's guess. I wouldn't want that first-round matchup with the Suns, but right now they're... Right now, they're only two games from being in the play-ins. So. And pretty much every single person is within, you know, every team is within, what, one, two, three, and then one, two, three. You got six teams, not counting the four that are already in the play-in. So 10 teams are within three games of the play-in. The only people who don't have a chance at all are the Spurs and the Rockets who are actively trying to lose. Yeah. Everybody else is in it. Yeah, the, what is it? Three and a half games that separates four from 13 in the Western Conference. Yeah. So everybody has a legitimate shot to host a playoff series even. Like, yeah, if, you told be... me, if you told me the Utah Jazz would host a playoff series, like you told me right now, I'd be like, I mean, probably not, but I could I, see it. I would have laughed in your face at the beginning of the season, that's for sure. True. Uh, it should make for some competitive basketball down the stretch, though. We shouldn't see a lot of guys resting in the Western Conference. Uh, well, I mean, any more than always happens, but we should see some actual competitive basketball down the stretch there. So I'm excited to see those crunch time games where people have to win. Yeah, should be a good finish. So, And the play-in games are always exciting, even if they're maybe excessive. They are exciting. Yeah, so. they've been good the what two years they've had them. Um, I just want to circle back around to something we talked about last week with the new um, MLB rule changes. Um, We've had some spring training games um, this weekend. We've got to see some of them in action. And I just have a few observations um, that I want to share and get all of you input on. So all of you feel free to contribute if you have some. Uh, First of all, just start with the easy one, the larger bases. I haven't noticed much of a difference with that. Um, haven't heard many people talking about it. I don't know if that's because it doesn't matter, hasn't mattered that much, or if it's just been overshadowed by the other rule changes, um, specifically the new pitch clock. Um, the first um, automatic ball or strike um, to be called with the new pitch clock was actually called against a batter, an automatic strike on Manny Machado. Um, and... So far from my, um, albeit somewhat limited observations of spring training, it's been hitters that have been affected more by the pitch clock than pitchers. Remember we talked about hitters have to be in the box with eight seconds left on the clock. Um, you even had a really uh, bizarre situation where um, I think it was Red Sox-Braves. Braves got the bases loaded, two outs, tie game, bottom of the ninth, full count, and the batter gets rung up for not being in the box with seven with with uh, eight seconds left on the clock. Literally, you went to extra innings in a bases loaded full count situation. Well, I think in spring training they just called it a tie, but um, you go to extra innings because he got rung up for not being in the box. It's going to take some getting used to, um, both for players and fans and broadcasters to figure out what's going on. Um. But what it has done is, again, in a very small sample size, significantly decreased the length of games. Just anecdotally, right? The first spring, 
Twins Spring Training game. I don't know why that was such a mouthful for me. The first Twins Spring Training game um, was a home game against Tampa Bay. There were 12 runs, 20 hits, so fairly high offensive game. The game got done in a little over two and a half hours. The second game today on Sunday um, had 18 runs scored and took just a little over three hours. Um, a very limited sample size, but this is greatly decreasing the length of game so far. Um, so, so far, I would say it's a success. Um, with the shift ban, um, they are still definitely working out some of the kinks. I know in the Rays-Twins game, the Rays got called for an automatic ball for having their second baseman illegally put, um, positioned directly in line with second base. They also got chastised for what we talked about last week, where they were running players into a shift um, after the pitch was thrown. Um, They got chastised for that because that's against the rules as well. But again, it's going to take some getting used to because when it was called, the players on the field didn't know what was happening. So Joey Gallo on third base thought they called a Bach and just trotted to home plate before being told, no, it was just a shift violation. It's just a ball. Go back to third base. So there's definitely still some kinks to work out, but overall they're having their effect. Um, whether you like it or not, the rules are having their intended effect so far in a very small sample size. We'll see what happens once spring training um, continues and once the regular season begins. Did you guys notice anything with the rule changes and how they've expect- affected spring training? Uh, games are shorter, a lot shorter. Uh, the Royals and the Rangers played a game that I believe had like 15 combined runs, uh, an an injury timeout on the field. Um, and it was like two hours and 39 minutes long. Yeah. So that many runs, that much offense and, and an injury as well. And, And still the game was incredibly short. Yep. My, my biggest takeaway from it was, I saw just a lot of consternation about the game that ended on that batter violation, and I was confused by it because isn't that what this is for? It's spring training, guys. We're working out the rules. This doesn't count for the standings. Take a chill pill. Like We're working through it. People were acting like this was game five of the World Series or something. Like This is what we're doing it for. People are getting used to the rules. This is not going to happen every game. I don't know. I, I was surprised by how upset everyone was, but I guess all the traditionalists and people who like to be upset on social media were excited to have something to complain about. But yeah, I was surprised specifically by the number of beat writers that were complaining about yeah. it. Like people like actual that are, journalists. Yeah, yeah. P- people who know the sport very well. Just wild. I understand Joe Schmo complaining about it on Twitter because anybody can, can complain on Twitter, but having people that know the game apparently not understand what the rules for i i mean i've changed my tune to it you know past couple of years from seeing it being implemented in the minors and a lot more for it than i was a couple of years ago like we discussed last week i will say one one thing that people have been complaining about is oh the pit it's so obvious behind home plate so apparently the 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 conversation the discussion is that most MLB teams will position that pitch clock so that it is out of frame of the center field camera. No, no, no. I want it. The, but Otherwise, a lot of people are complaining about not having it. 
or like not or it being too too much in view. Otherwise, fans are going to even have less idea what's going on when the umpire just steps out from behind the plate, motions something, and we continue play. Yeah, it seems weird to not have it in view like a shot clock and or a play clock. Like we like to see that, so we know when it's getting low. Right. Yeah. I, I want to see it. I granted the twins games have not yet been on TV, so I have not yet watched any any baseball with it present. But to me, just in my head, I want it there. So I haven't been able to to catch either of the two Cubs spring training games uh, up until recording this episode. Is the shot not in the the, the behind second base view? Like does a does the it, pitcher it not is, see it? You no. Know, so right now they have one behind home plate. And one like in center field. So both the hitter and the pitcher should be able to see it without turning or anything. Yep. What Kyle's saying is fanning that it's in the camera view from the center field camera. He's saying fans oh, no. don't like that. Gotcha. I thought it was the other way around. No, that's a good thing. And there are beat writers who are also complaining about it. I'm like, guys, can... guys, this is this is ridiculous. We have to be able to see this in order to know what's going on. Imagine, imagine if you were watching a football game and you didn't have the play clock at, uh, or the time uh, at the it'd, at the bottom of the screen, like, like on the score the tracker. Yeah, like they didn't have scoreboards back then. Like you, you were just supposed to know it. All of a sudden, you would see the umpire official or what have you throw a flag, and you're like, "Why are they calling that? What happened? Well, delay of game. How am I supposed to know that?" You have to have a visual cue and like representation of it. That pitch clock has to be in the background, very prevalent and very prominent for all the, the, the casual fan to be able to see and like pay attention to and take note of. I love that it's in the actual physical clock in the frame and not just a digital representation of it. Cause, you know, in the NFL, every now and again, we'll see, uh, oh, the play clock was at zero, but a flag wasn't wasn't called. That's because it was out of sync by like a second or something. So I'm a big fan of having it like the physical clock that's on the field in the camera view for the at home viewers to see that that's a good thing. I think if you're complaining about it, then I'd quit complaining. <laughs> How about that? One one clarification that I haven't been able to see because I haven't watched any of the games yet. Do we know if the pitcher is in their wind up when the clock is at zero? Is that a ball? Like, does the pitch have to be? out of his hand that's a good question i haven't seen um it in practice let me look at the rule exactly then there's because there's going to be a lot of umps or well the home plate umpires that are going to have to know then what their pitching mechanic looks like to see i feel like it would be easier for them to just say oh the ball has to be out of his hand i would prefer it be in the windup. As I agree. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty what easy I to would... pick up. Yes. You know, if you're yeah, the umpire, you're, you're going to notice. You should know. You should know. But there is obviously some inherent variability behind between the, the, windups. The, here's the rule. The pitcher must go into his motion prior to the expiration of the timer. And that's what I'd expect to. You don't want the umpire popping out in the middle of somebody's wind up and being like, that's a ball. That's <laughs> just not, that doesn't help speed up the sport. <laughs> that's almost dangerous. You're distracting people yes. with the times the pitch is delivered. Yeah. So there you go. He's just got to start his motion. Overall, 
I think Major League Baseball would say it's been a success. Um, one thing we didn't talk about that I was reading about, Rocco Baldelli was talking about it. Um, because hitters got to be in the box with eight seconds left on the clock, right? You don't have that much time to get signs to your hitters anymore either. So they're having to figure out better ways to get signs from the dugout to the third base coach to the batter. Because now you got to do it all in, in seven to 15 seconds, depending on, or seven to 12 seconds, depending on whether there's runners on base or not. So Are they going to have to introduce too. like a comm system potentially similar to what they do with catchers? Uh, Rocco Baldelli is in favor of it. The t- Rocco Baldelli is in favor of it. He said, why really? wouldn't they? Um, but as of now, there is no plans to do so. But why, why not, though? I guess I'm, it's no different I'm than having the with speakers it. in the quarterback's helmet, right? Yeah. Right. Or, I mean, they've already got the technology. Right. At some point, the communication does get cut off, right? And they've already started to figure out what to do between pitchers and catchers so that they can relay the signs without having them stolen. So, I don't know. I, I don't know why you wouldn't do that to help speed it up. If you're a hitter, you got to know... If you're in a hit and run situation, right? Like if you miss that, that's in- instrumental to the game, to the sport. Interesting. So just one more thing that I read about that I thought would be interesting to um, bring to the discussion. So there you go. Um, that was a little bit of a, a blend into Mike's Stupid Rules, but we're calling it the MLB segment because we talked about it in Stupid Rules last week. So now really on to Mike Stupid Rules. And for Mike Stupid Rules this week, I'm actually going to throw it over to Wyatt, who is going to tell us all about the new rules in the new football leagues like the XFL and the USFL. Wyatt, what do you got? So we're we're just going to talk about the rule differences specifically between the NFL and the XFL. Uh, And I split it up into four sections. We're going to talk about overtime rules, which are pretty simple, Um, downs from scrimmage, special teams, and some just general administrative things. And I will say, out of all of these changes, there's only one of them that I do not like at all. See if you can pick out which one that is, and we'll, we'll circle back to that one at the, uh, the end of me listing these off. If you have questions, please stop me. So starting with overtime, uh, overtime is pretty simple. It's just going to be alternating attempts, uh, one down from the five-yard line to score two points uh, as a touchdown. Each team has three attempts to do this, and at the end of those three attempts for each team, the team with the most amount of points wins. Um, if they are still tied at that point in time, it's a sudden death from the five-yard line. So they have they have one one attempt from the five-yard line at three times, and it'll alternate back and forth for each team. So team A goes from the five-yard line, and then team B goes from the five-yard line, and team A from the five-yard line gotcha, okay. uh, until they, they each have had three attempts from the five-yard line. And again, the, it, that's only worth two points then. So that, that's the whole overtime rules. They're pretty simple. Um, almost too simple? I don't know. I, I don't hate it. It gives each team the ability to handle the ball. Um, it, it's a way to end the game. We'll move on to just general downs from scrimmage. There's only really two things here that that are different. The first is that you can have two forward passes in the same down, and that can only happen if after the first forward pass, the ball still has not crossed the line of scrimmage. So uh, let's imagine the ball is snapped to the quarterback who throws a forward pass to 
somebody on his team, if that ball still has not crossed the line of scrimmage, whoever uh, received that pass can then throw another forward pass again. Uh, the second change for downs of scrimmage um, is a fumble in the field of play by the offense that goes out the back of the end zone um, will result in the offensive team retaining possession of the ball at the spot of the fumble rather than it being a touchback. Uh, this wouldn't be the case for a safety where it goes out the back of your own end zone. It's where it goes out the back of your opponent's end zone, right? What, what if it goes out the side of your own end zone, of your opponent's end zone? Um, that's fine, right? It's not going out the back, so we don't really care. So that's that's the current case right now. So it's a so it's a touchback. If it goes out the side of the end zone rather than the back, yeah. Or is it no? Is it, that that would just be a fumble out of bounds, right? But it's in the end, but it out of bounds in the end zone. But it's not out the back of the end zone. But it's out the side of the end zone. What's the difference? So right now Why in college, in in college, if you fumble it across the goal line out the side of the end zone, that's just a fumble out of bounds, isn't it? That's not a touchback. No, I'm pretty sure it's a touchback because we had that play um, where Brees Hall did or didn't recover that fumble. Um, I can't remember who we were playing. It ended up being a touchdown, but it was originally a touchback. That was the side of the end zone. That didn't go out the back? No, it was the side. Really? Yeah. More, more research is required. Okay. We'll, we'll tweet it out later. We will tweet it out. Um, so in this case, it would not be a touchback. They would just retain possession and keep going from where they fumbled the ball. Special teams. We'll talk about special teams real quick. The kickoff retaining lines are only five yards apart instead of 10. So that's from where the ball is kicked to where uh, the restraining line is for the return team. Those are five yards apart instead of 10. Only the kicker and the returner can move. No one else on the field can move until the ball is caught or it has been on the ground for three seconds. The other change is the ball is actually kicked from the opponent's 35-yard line. So you kick it from the 35, the retaining line for the return teams at the 30. So we have a change of where the ball is placed in the field of play, where the returners can line up to, and then who can legally move up until the ball has been caught. What I'm unclear on, because I haven't had a chance to dig deep into the rules, does that count if the ball has been muffed by the returner? Can you still move? I, I don't know yet. Um, maybe, Ariane, since you've watched some games so far, I don't know if that's happened. I have not seen that happen yet. I, I'm curious to know. Yeah, um, I, I have thought about that. So wait, are you saying they only have to, the, 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 they're kicking, they only have to get 35 yards to kick it into the end zone? Is that what you're saying? That's what the no. rule said, right? So they're kicking it from their own 35 or from the opponent's? Yeah, their, their own 35. That must have been right. poorly. Yeah, they're not kicking okay. it from the yeah, 35. Okay, poorly. okay. That, that was the only part I was, was like, um, that's like a field goal. Like, just so kick it they, through the uprights every time. So are they kicking from the 35 or from the 30? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I wasn't looking at the yard line when they were kicking. Because to me, then, it seems like they should be kicking from the 30, and then the returner's restraining line should be at the 35. I obviously haven't watched a game of uh, XFL yet, unfortunately. Just highlights, and they don't show kickoffs in the highlights. Yeah, Wonder that makes sense. sense. <laughs> they should. It's pretty rare. Because uh, this is actually probably rare, too. I don't know if, this, if you've seen this happen yet, Ariane. But in the fourth quarter, a team has the option to have a scrimmage down of fourth and 15 instead of attempting an onside kick. That's only in the fourth quarter. You can that, onside kick at any point in time during the game. But 
you have that option now in the fourth quarter to go for fourth and 15 instead of trying for the onside. That is actually how the Battle Hawks won their first game of the season. They That's scored awesome. a touchdown with under two minutes to go, converted, and then scored again to win the game, which was pretty crazy. I, I thought awesome. it was really awesome watching it and, you know, work. It was It's more fun than, like, onside kicks are just so low percentage these days. It's just a hope. They, they don't. They've kept changing the rule, the NFL rules for onside kicks to the point where they're basically you can't get them. The, yeah, it's gone from like a fifteen percent recovery rate down to like a five percent like recovery rate. Yeah. yeah, which I don't love. I would love it if it was a little bit better a chance, but yeah, the, the fifteen yard down is is pretty cool. I I liked it when I saw it. Point after attempts are the last thing we'll talk about in the special teams category. Uh, we don't have extra points in the XFL. You can only go for a touchdown now. You can choose where you want the ball to start at, and that determines the points that you can potentially score. So a scrimmage down from the two-yard line will give you one point. From the five-yard line will give you two points, and from the 10-yard line will give you three points, respectively. And I did have to double-check. If the defense recovers the ball and then scores, the defense gets the same amount of points that the offense attempted for. So, so you can have offense, a three. You can have a three-point interception. You can have a three-point yeah. interception. Cool. One other thing for the special teams that I didn't hear in there: if a punt goes out of bounds inside the thirty-five, the ball is brought out to the thirty-five. Oh, I, that I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like that either. That that is uh, in my last section of administrative oh. things. Never mind. I apologize. Um, oh, you cover no, no worries. So you cover that. It's all good. Uh, you also have three timeouts per half rather than three timeouts per game. Coaches can yeah, challenge. But, 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 but it's three timeouts. Oh, it's three timeouts per half in the NFL. You mean three Is timeouts really? per game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. Same, though. Why did I write that down? Uh, I'm not sure. Hold, please. <laughs> or is it three per game in the XFL? Oh, no, it's three per half. I don't know why I wrote that down. Um, okay. I must have had a brain fart. Surprise, surprise. Coaches can challenge once per game anything. Uh, this also includes judgment calls, which I think is interesting. Um, so as a coach, you can challenge anything. Anything's challengeable. Once. All plays are subject to review from a dedicated replay official. No huge change there. We have replay officials in the box for uh, college and for the NFL. Replay, however, can correct errors on non-reviewable plays. They can do anything related to player safety at any point in the game, and they can do anything at all in the last five minutes of regulation, uh, including overtime. This is kind of like the sky judge, basically, for um, if you remember the Alliance of American Football, they had a sky judge. This to me is just like a sky judge uh, with a couple more limitations, I suppose. But it's interesting. I think this will be a cool change for the NFL to look at and to potentially adopt in the future is having more um, more things that you can do as a replay official. I suppose. So I can now clear the air, jumping back a little bit um, to kicking off. Sorry, to kicking off. One, can I just clear that yeah. up? They kick off from the 30. I watched it live just now. <laughs> okay. So 
Yes. There's a live source. Thank you. The kick from the 30 or straightening from the 35. So I guess what I had it flipped around in the rule book, which that makes a heck of a lot more sense. It does. It really, really does. Interesting look. That is not one that I was mad about, though. Um, we'll continue. Wherever you normally see a 40-second play clock right now in college or the NFL, you'll now see 35 seconds on the clock instead. 25 seconds for administrative things and whatnot will still be uh, a normal. But if you're used to seeing 40 seconds on the play clock, it will be 35. Um, and then catches are the college rule of one foot instead of two. However, unlike college, a ball carrier is not down until they're touched by the other team, like, like in the NFL. So if you have a wide receiver um, deep running the ball, trips and falls, he's not immediately down until he's touched by the, uh, the uh, other team. So. Those are the biggest changes that I have. I assume either the punt rule or the challenge rule is the one you don't like. No, it's actually the fumble out of bounds that I don't like. Mm. Uh, it, it will need some more clarification on that rule. But if you fumble out of bounds as a touchback, that is a touchback. I don't care. But basically a touchback is uh, in the rule book. It, it, it says that a touchback is the ball going out of your opponent's end zone, provided that the impetus of that ball was from the opponent. I don't like that seems backwards to me. I'm not a fan. Everything else I'm okay with trying. I'm I'm okay with giving it a go. Yeah, the only rule I'm not a big fan of is the punting out of bounds thing. Don't love that. Everything else I'm fine with. I think the XFL has the benefit of being so ridiculous in the past that if you hear a rule that's weird, you're like all right, let's see how it works. You know, if they took away kicks on point after attempts in the NFL, people would lose their minds. But it's the XFL and it's different and it's weird. So, you know, you just kind of let them do what they do and see how it works out. Yeah, I mean, why not see how it works out, right? I will say I don't hate the punt out of bounds thing because it's so inaccurate determining where the ball went out of bounds. Like, but like if you, if you knock it out of bounds at the one yard line, yeah, you should get rewarded for that. Thirty-five, like what? No, that's so rare. More, I love more a confidence. Than I, <laughs> more often than not, it's going to be the ball getting shanked out of bounds. Not a smart play in the XFL. I, I wouldn't want to see that in the NFL. But if they want to try it here to see what happens, I, I'm okay with that. Fair enough. I mean, they're doing it because they want punt returns. They want action. Yeah, that's why I, the rule exists. Same reason they change the kickoffs. Yeah. Right. So, cool. Thank you for going over those wide. Appreciate it. Now I'll know when I watch the XFL, I'll know what I'm looking at. And means at least one of us knows what we're talking about. Um, because uh, as you'll hear from this set of predictions, none of us at all know what on earth we're talking about. Um, there's only one correct prediction um, in this entire accountability session um so get get uh get ready for a lot of uh buzzers in this one so first prediction to come off the board was one from me i predicted that the twins would sign a player to a major league contract before opening day um i expected it was going to be a relief pitcher but they actually signed Donovan Solano, a utility infielder, previously of the Reds and Giants, to a major league contract. Um, but I didn't specify a pitcher in my prediction, so this is correct. So, ding, 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 ding. And 
as a preview, everything else is wrong on this Yay. list. Um, I predicted the Twin Cities would see more than 18 inches of snow this week. Um, even when you combine a little clipper that came through before the big storm, we still only got two 13 and a half inches um, at the airport, which is less than 18. So, nah. Nah. Wyatt predicted the Iowa Wild would win their Thursday night game that he was at. Um, they did not. I looked at their page. They lost it. Three to one, four to one, four to one. So yeah, they did not win that. But so, he did get uh, to ride on a zamboni. So. I did get to ride on a zamboni. Ride. That looked fun. Was did that fun? It was awesome. Get, it was fantastic. Did you get to drive the zamboni? Oh, I wish. Did you tell him you're a pilot? You can handle a zamboni if you can handle a plane. So I'm a pilot. Give me the zamboni. <laughs> it, it's funny. I was not the only pilot on the zamboni. There was there was two pilots on the zamboni, so we would have fought for it in that case. Wow. It's like the old joke. How do you know someone's a pilot? They tell you. That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, nah. yeah, nah. <laughs> Kyle put the Iowa State men's basketball team would not lose another home game, which they did to Oklahoma. So, nah. Nah. You also predicted that they would beat Texas, which they didn't come close to. So, nah. Nah. Oh, and you predict that the men's and women's team will win 20-plus regular season games. The men only have 17 regular season wins with two games to go. It's going to be tough for them to win three regular season games in their last two games. So, nah. Nah. And you predicted that both the men and the women will win at least two of their remaining road games. The um, men at least lost um, two out of their remaining three since you made that prediction. So, nah. Nah. All right, and you also said that Team LeBron would win the All-Star game. I'm told that Team Giannis won. I did not watch any of it, so correct me if I'm wrong there. So, nah. Nah. And then you said Tyrese Hunter would end the game with less than or equal to the number of points of Tame and Lipsy. He definitely outscored Lipsy in this game. I don't I believe he was the game's numbers. leading scorer with 15. Was, so. Yeah. Yeah, Hard Hunter to had score more points than the leading scorer. Yeah, Hunter had 15. Lipsy had eight in that game. So, nah. 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 That is it for a very, very bad week of write that down predictions. I'll start putting some stuff up on the board and see if um, we can have a better week. I'm going to predict that the Cyclones will still get a four seed or higher in the NCAA tournament. What are we projected at a three line right now, I think, still? Um, it depends what you look at. So the bracket matrix. Oh, let me open up the bracket matrix. No, not Bally Sports. The bracket matrix. The bracket matrix, which has updated after yesterday's game, has us as the last four seed right now. Oh, okay. Um, based off of this week's performance, I mean, but you got to base it off the whole season. Now, I, I know, but based off of this week's performance, I'd say probably a triple. Based off the whole season, I was gonna double. say a double. I mean, if you both say double, it doesn't matter. It's a, you, it's a tentative think? double. We want your opinion. Yeah, I'm not locked in yet. Man. Uh, uh, 
if they if if they do what I think they're gonna do, I think this is probably a triple. But because <laughs> what I think they're gonna do is beat West Virginia, lose to Baylor, and then lose their first game in the in the tournament. And they'll I probably think, get a five seed. I think they win at least one game in the tournament. I do not yeah. think that the team that we've seen for this last week is the team. I, I don't think that's who this team is. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong, you know, yeah. five times I, this episode. So based on what I think is going to happen, based on what I think is going to happen, I'm going to yeah. say a triple. So okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to stay at a double. Okay. I will also stay at a double. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of what I was expecting, so. Double it is. Do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He's still alive. He is in Texas. Um, We're still trying to figure out exactly why he is in Texas. Well, he's in Corpus Christi, so. That's in Texas. I would assume that's vacation, but. I don't know. Maybe he's going to Texas. Maybe he's touring grad schools at Texas A&M. It's true. Um, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. That's a school. Okay. Okay. Fair. I, I was going to say which campus because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a far yeah, cry I know, from College I know the Station. Main, I, I know College Station is the main. Yeah. So who knows why he's in Texas taking an early spring break. Anyway, he's in Texas. He uh, didn't want to bother with the prediction while he's in Texas. So he's going to take another strikeout. I'm going to predict that the Iowa State men's and women's basketball teams win out the regular season. Two Ooh. two games each for for both. Wow. Um, the women will probably be the women will probably be favored in both of their games. Um, the men will definitely not be favored at Baylor. <laughs> no. no. Let's see if I can pull this up real quick. Yeah, BPI unfortunately doesn't list. Women's percentages. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So I'll just estimate those at a 60% chance to win each game, for example, just as a placeholder. Is that okay, Wyatt? Yep, that's fine. Because they'll probably be favored looking at their opponents. Men is 66.5 and 21.4. Yeah. So presume using BPI for the men and presuming a 60% chance for the women winning both games, that's a 5% chance of this happening. It's pretty low. That's triple home run borderline. I I'm am willing to go towards home run. home run just because I really don't think we're going to win at Baylor. Yeah, me neither. We are. When's the last time we won at Baylor? Ooh, been a bit. I was going to say it's probably been a while. All right, this is a home run. Home run uh, is. I will take it. What do you got, Kyle? I have two. First one, <sighs> Royals men's bass or. Er, what Royals? Royals okay. Basketball. Wow. They could be better than the baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> they probably will be better than the actual Kansas City Royals. Um, Iowa State men's basketball will not win a game in Kansas City. I mean, this is uh, you're predicting a single game, which still has the potential to be against either Oklahoma, Texas, Te- or Texas Tech. Who, though we lost to both of them, those aren't good teams. Um, so I'm gonna say single. I would agree. Probably a single. I guess yeah, it doesn't matter. I would have said double just because I don't have the highest hopes for for this team. But. Yeah, but if you told me it was a coin flip, I'm not gonna uh, argue with you. Right. 
I mean, right, let's let's say we get our most likely first round opponent is probably K-State. Right? You'd say, do we have a do we have better than 60% chance of beating K-State on a neutral floor? No. That's fair. That's fair. Like I said, either way, it's a single. Yeah. Uh, and then the Royals will have a winning record at the end of spring training. I don't know. They play spring training games in the wrong state, so that's the first problem. Hey, a lot of people like Arizona, you know? Uh, by the way, the last time the Cyclones beat Baylor at home was a decade ago, 12-13. Oh my gosh. February 20th, uh 2013. Wow. So the th- the Royals are 3 and 0 right now as I pull up the Cactus League standings. Um Let's find the Royals. How many spring training games are the Royals playing? One how many more? 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12, I didn't 13, expect 14, you to get this educated. 15, 16, I just figured you were going to make a guess. 31. Looks like they play 31 spring training games, more spring training games. So they to finish above 500. Um, boy, they have to win 15 games. And I'll. If they go thirteen and four, if they go fourteen and seventeen, they'll finish exactly five hundred. Yeah, so they got to win fifteen games. They're gonna go fifteen and sixteen down the stretch. I don't know. It's spring training. Who the hell knows? Single. Yeah, sure, for me. coin coin flip. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. There, there was a lot of talking just for me to say nobody knows. Know. <laughs> What do you got, Ariane? I have one prediction this week. The Cyclones, I'm going to say the men and the women, will win at least one of their remaining regular season's games. And then I wrote, pretty please, can we just win the game? Uh, I mean, this is probably they should be able to. a single. I feel like My it's probably a single. My initial instinct was a single, yeah. Yeah, but like, I just want it. It's more like just asking, can we win a game? <laughs> men, <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Especially if you're not going to try to convince me otherwise, I'm going to say single. No, yeah. I, I figured it would be a single. That's fine. With a strikeout, three singles, a double, and a home run, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311Cast, episode 212. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on both Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts... Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!